me for the reading of God's word. Our scripture today will be coming from Acts 16, verses 6 through 15. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up from Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. I can see now. Good morning. How are you all doing today? It's really good to be here with you. My name is Manfred Caroli, and I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary, and it's a blessing to be uh, here opening God's Word uh, with you all this morning. And yeah, I'm going to be seeing how interruptions in life fit in our God's agenda for us. And um, if you were to answer um, the question, what concerns you the most in life today? What would that be? Where would your mind will go? What would be some of the things that will come to your mind? I would like to assume that most of your answers in mind might bring concerns about the future and not necessarily about the past because the past is the past and we can go back to it. We cannot leave it again. The past also can bring good memories and joys, but also regrets and different kinds of burdens of the things that could have been, that didn't happen, or grief or pain or something we did or it was done to us. But on the other hand, uh, also, um, the future can bring worries and concerns based on our current circumstances into a future that we haven't yet lived. The future also creates expectations and brings hope and anticipation. And with that, also stress and anxiety and concerns. Concerns and hopes about our marriages, our children, their future, their provision, where they're going to study, 
an unexpected med medical diagnosis we were just given, an unsatisfied and unfulfilled job situation, the dream to have a house and stability. One of the lessons I've learned living among you is most Americans desire to plan their lives. From education, children's future, vacations, retirement, it, it is impressive and something that I respect, something that I admire because it's a gift from God. And don't get me wrong, I, I like to plan. Um, but something else I learned in past years is that on the one hand, I claim to trust God fully with my family, my own life, our futures. And on the other hand, I was holding too tight my schedule and plans, dreams, hopes, and where I was supposed to be and go. But it wasn't until God allowed a series of interruptions, clear interruptions, unwanted interruptions in my life that I realized that I was living in the form of disconnected reality from God, thinking somehow that I had control over my life, thinking that I knew what I was going, what I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to be doing without considering God and all that. And the reality is I was planning my life, not always asking God where and where he wanted me to be at, but especially because I was afraid to have God feeling in my agenda without knowing where he was taking me. So I was afraid. It was and is still a very humble place to be, learning to navigate the meaning of an interrupted, an interrupted life with him guiding my family and me in the process and just hearing sometimes what I need for the day <laughs> without seeing past, without a clear or defined future on my end, but God's. It was then that I also started to realize and relate with the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. The journey to the promised land didn't become a smooth, straight, or even a clear path. We know that the journey was constantly interrupted, tragic, unclear, and unknown. Whether their circumstances were associated with their disobedience or God's direct plan and will for them, we know that the journey was everything but uninterrupted. They were in constant need, guidance, and instruction from the Lord throughout the unknown terrain and landscape on the way to the promised land. What was supposed to be a relatively easy journey turned into a quite intense adventure of 40 years. Like, like them, if we're following God, we shouldn't expect our lives and journeys into the new creation to be on an interrupted or quiet journey into the woods. In God's providence and sovereignty, we should expect unexpected turns and changes of direction that will be seasoned with hardships, struggles, interruptions, and provisions of many kinds. Just as we continue serving God's fulfilling promise to restore and heal this world, we should expect interruptions. As he keeps calling his people from every corner of the world for his namesake, we are called today to trust him, to trust him, to continue walking in faith, and realize that we need the guidance of the Spirit in our lives. But how do you respond to interruptions? How do you respond to change, to the change of plans in your life and unwanted circumstances and situations, especially when it comes to the future? 
Do you embrace those interruptions as part of God's will for your life? Or do you fight them, reject them? Especially if those plans and those interruptions attempt to disrupt your, disrupt your pre-existing agendas and your sense of comfort. How do you respond? So as we wrestle with these questions and its unique challenges too, I want us to observe today how the Lord also continues calling imperfect, broken, and needed people to be his redeemed agents of transformation in the new creation. Since the beginning, God has called and empowered simple and fragile people like us. He continues using jars of clay to show that the surprising power belongs to him and not to us. Also, it is my prayer this morning that we will be able to observe in the passage today that since the beginning, the Lord has had a single unique plan that includes a pre-established agenda to bless all the nations of the world, and that his plan involves each one of us here this morning. It's an invitation to trust him with our lives and futures as we walk the waters of the unknown with him taking us to the place he said he would. Just as he guided Israel to the promised land and throughout many circumstances, he will direct our futures and journeys to the new creation. And there he's already waiting for us. But we can only access or embrace this journey with our eyes set on the unseen because the journey leads to eternity. So this morning I will be making two observations in how God uses interruptions of many sorts in our lives and the role of the Spirit aligning and redirecting our paths in the middle of those interruptions and how also the Spirit purposely will guide us to the places and situations that God has already prepared for us to fulfill his plans. But before we dive into the text, please, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, I pray that you will align our thoughts this morning. I pray that, I ask that you will speak to us this morning. I acknowledge your presence in this place. And I thank you for that. Thank you that you are a faithful God, an awesome God. And thank you for the invitation today to call you, to continue trusting you in the middle of the interruptions or situations that some of us might be dealing with. We're here to make Jesus Christ known in Oak Park and around the world. So I pray that today we'll be empowered to do so. I pray that we'll be challenged, that you will give us perspective. And I pray that you will take this love of bread and fish, and you will just turn it into a feast for your glory. In Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. To situate ourselves uh, in our text this morning, I want to provide you with some context by describing a few elements that are taking place in Acts at the end of chapter 15 and verse 39, and later in Acts 16, verses 1 to 5. And I want to do that because I consider um, those to be important. Um, and first is the argument that Paul and Barnabas had over John Mark. We see that in uh, Acts 15, 39. On this second missionary journey, I would like to suggest that the intense dispute between Paul and Barnabas caused an interruption in Paul's original plan to bring him along 
there is already a situation taking place between those two. However, we know from Pastor Eric's sermon last week that this situation, rather than causing division, graciously caused multiplication. Two teams in different directions proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Paul not only said goodbye to a ministry partner, but a really, really good friend. And that didn't stop him from continuing to move forward with the mission and the purpose he was given by God. Second, that the Lord knew better what it was needed for the continuation of his mission, and that he had already budgeted in his divine economy every aspect of the journey, including those interruptions and necessary stops. Third, in Acts 16, verses 1 to 5, we can also see how the Spirit of God that is always moving ahead brought him to Lystra, where the Lord had been working before their arrival in the life of a young man named Timothy. The previously planted seeds by Paul in Lystra have now become fruits, and he's reaping what he saw. However, in verse 3, we observe a slight inconvenience. Timothy was half Gentile and half Jew, and to bring him along on this journey, Paul makes a strategic decision. He circumcised Timothy to avoid becoming a roadblock for the gospel proclamation, but also pursuing the unity of the church. Luke wants his readers and us to know that God in his sovereignty had perfectly prearranged every situation in the life of the apostle and the team, that he is in absolute control of every aspect of the journey, providing absolutely everything that is needed. And that's what Timothy was, provision, an asset for the team on this new journey. He also wants us to know that despite the difficulties and the challenges of the early church and the imperfection of its leaders, the Spirit of God led and used imperfect and yet redeemed people to give continuation to the mission, confirm the gospel message, its unity, and also that the churches were being strengthened and growing as we read in verse 5. So with that in mind, allow me to make two observations this morning. The first one is that the Spirit will restrain us on the journey, but it will also refresh and enhance our path not long after they left Lystra, Luke describes an interruption in, verse, in verses 6 to 8. The missionary team is restrained, forbidden to enter Asia, not once, but twice. This could have been strange and probably didn't, didn't uh, make uh, much sense to Paul that the Spirit was closing the doors to bring the gospel to those places. And from Luke's description in the narrative, a simple look on a map can give us an initial idea and impression that Paul's plan to go to those places made sense. It was a strategic and sequential move for the proclamation of the gospel, but the Spirit said no. Paul's plans were not aligned with God's plan, and yet we don't have any clues, clues from the text describing Paul fighting with God or questioning the direction of the Spirit. So this can lead us to believe that Paul had a clear understanding of God as the Lord of his life and the mission. It was not a matter of why, but where. From a human and natural perspective, Paul's attempt to enter Asia made sense. And if you're wondering, like me, what was the reason for this blockage and how did they know the Spirit was closing these doors? Well, Luke seems to be omitting those details, and we can only do what most scholars have done through history, and that is to guess. We can guess that the Spirit, in a vision through Silas, um, he spoke to them. We know he was a prophet. Or perhaps it was through personal convictions that something was not right, that something was not in place. 
Someone also suggested that it was poor medical condition that stopped them from entering those places. What we can assume with certainty maybe at this point is that Paul discerned from his condition or circumstances, whatever those were, that it was the will of God for those doors not to be open and, not, and nor to be knocked down. He's not insisting, insisting in entering those places. Perhaps he just eager to know which way to go. And this is because he had an open agenda before God. Maybe he just wanted an answer from God to questions like, what are you trying to tell me? How are you going to be known through this situation? Where is that you want me to go? Paul interpreted these interruptions and situations as a direct message from the Spirit. As a result, we don't read about any frustrations again or discouragement from Paul or the rest of the team, even when they could have good reasons to do so. And knowing that Luke's description through the book of Acts highlights and celebrates the great and the beautiful things taking place in the narrative, He's also not shy when mentioning moments that are not as great. We also see this throughout the biblical narrative as well, which to me is another reason that makes God's word reliable. Why? (laughs) Because the Bible doesn't tell the story of a a journey of uh, perfect people. Rather, it's a saga describing the heart of a perfect and loving God, restoring and healing the world and his people for his glory. And God's word celebrates that throughout the narrative. For example, Luke was not shy describing disagreements among leaders, the heated argument between Paul and Barnabas, or the fact that things were not heading in the expected direction. Luke purposely shares these details to let us know a few things. That despite the imperfections of the servants, they were still going through a journey of sanctification, trusting the Lord. And that God had chosen, chosen not because they were perfect, and instead, because in his redemptive plan for them, the evident cracks in their lives made them the ideal vessels for his glory to shine, to shine throughout the world. When unwanted circumstances surrounding Paul's life, he chose in humility to surrender himself to the will of God because he knew better. He knew that God's way and, and plans were better and higher than his. But he also knew that in every place in life where he fell stuck, overwhelmed, lost, God's grace, love, and promises were enough to carry him to the future and place the Lord had for him. Now in verse 8, Luke again takes the time to describe how the team went through a big deal to bring the gospel, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, covering 785 miles, more or less, until that point. The average person on that day, they were in good shape, were able, was able to cover a similar distance by walking 25 miles per day. And this could have been a great deal for World Vision uh, at the time. <laughs> um, the journey could have taken them over a month to get to Troas. And it, it is there in Troas where they're going to see with more clarity God's purpose in the next steps and how the interruptions and the restraints they experienced were necessary and providential. And this is how God works, giving direction and clarity one step after another, using his spirit to provide us with a partial picture of the place where he's taking us without revealing it entirely because the journey requires faith. 
Those spirit-led interruptions could have caused Paul and his companions to experience exhaustion, confusion, despair, and perhaps they did. But they seem to have taken them as providential for as, as unclear as the journey could have been. What I was unclear and unknown to the team was clear and known to God since the beginning. The journey will take an exciting turn for the team, the world, but also for us today. Paul has a vision, and he finally gets an answer for what the next step will be. The plans and the vision that caused him to depart Antioch and to visit and encourage the churches are now clear, enhanced, but also refreshed. Finally, God is showing them the door they were meant to enter using a vision. Come over to Macedonia. Cross over to the other side. There's work for you here. The fields are ready. It's more or less what the Macedonian man tells Paul in verse 9. In that vision, Paul sees the open door that, that he and the team had been waiting for. But again... He just received the essential direction and information he needed to continue the journey. And having a vision and receiving the necessary information for the journey were not uncommon to Paul. If you recall the account of his conversion in Acts 9, he's told what to do and where to go. And in Damascus, God had prepared Ananias, who, with some reasons, by the way, had some prejudice against Paul. <laughs> but the encounter, however, shaped Paul's life forever. And here, Paul doesn't get a detailed step-by-step -step explanation through the vision he received, except what he needed to know for what was next. Through this vision again, he also gets to know two things again. Where to go, what to do, nothing else. And Paul seems to be remain steady. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't question the Lord. He doesn't try to convince God that his plans are better. He doesn't try to fight God or to negotiate with him. God's plans had considered every possibility and every scenario. What God requires from Paul is to have faith and to obey him. This is something to sit and reflect on because, to be honest, it's not as easy as it sounds, at least not in my own life. I love how the Spirit works so that we can continue depending on him by giving us just the necessary information and at the same time, keeping our life seasoned with excitement and anticipation. The Spirit gives coordinates, where to go, what to do, but not a full and detailed explanation. And that's how God's agenda often differs from ours. Now in verse 10, it says that when they had seen the vision immediately, without questioning the Lord, they sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel there. And again, God's calling demands an immediate response. Just like in Acts 9, Paul was physically blind and in need of guidance to enter the city of Damascus. But now on this journey, he's partially blind to see ahead in the future. Still, he responded with immediate obedience on both occasions and understood that there was a reason for the wait because God was laboring ahead. This vision takes place for the sake of clarity and direction not purpose, because purpose was something Paul was already, already living out. Let me say that again. This vision takes place for the sake of clarity and direction, not purpose, because purpose was something Paul was already living out. The message of Matthew 20, 19 to 20 was a reality in Paul's life. He just needed clarity as to where he was being called to live out that purpose next. 
and the interruptions on the journey are about to take them to cross over Europe. A commentator described this moment like this. On the other side of the ocean, Philippi was waiting for the gospel. And all the memories of what a great empire was once, and the vision of that Alexander the Great had to unite the East with the West as one world, as one kingdom, is about to happen. The difference is God's imperishable kingdom will now be established there to unite the world, a kingdom that will bring hope, salvation, healing, restoration, justice, unity, and it will bless every nation. His kingdom and his message will continue moving and growing into the ends of the earth, just as he promised. And you and I were part of that promise. We are the ends of the earth. In God's hands, every circumstance, every failure, every time you have been restrained, every force and unexpected stop or change of direction that you had experienced, any place where you have been placed, any hardship and painful moment, any sense of brokenness in your life can become the beginning of an incredible blessing in God's hands for you and for others. There are also a few things that we learn from Paul in how to respond to the interruptions and restrictions in our lives. We must trust and believe God in the work of the Spirit in our lives and those around us. We must learn to rest in Him. We must wait on Him for direction. So next time the unexpected or unwanted knocks at your door, or where life seems to go in the opposite direction you want it, when you're blind to see ahead in your future, ask yourself if you're trusting, believing, resting, and waiting on him. And also, if there is something that requires your joyful obedience rather than an unwanted sacrifice. When God says no, it should be as pleasant to hear as when he says yes. Because both responses come from the same loving, gracious, and everlasting God. And both responses are meant to fulfill his plans in you, to bless you and others in the process, whether you see it or not. How do you respond to the interruptions, changes of plans, changes of directions? Is your impulse to run in the opposite direction as Noah did? No, Jonah, sorry. Or do you embrace them with joyful obedience? Or do you try to explain God the good reasons you have and how it's not a good season to embrace those interruptions because you made plans and those interruptions don't fit well in your pre-existing agenda? And if you're honest, those plans might be uncomfortable to bear. By your means and without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to make it far. How does the Macedonian call look in your life today? Does it look like a person across the street begging for help? A family member, a friend, a neighbor? What are some cultural and ethnic borders the Lord is calling you to cross over today? Are there any biases, fears that are holding you back? What is stopping you from sharing with others the hope you have in Christ? Is it your neighbor, a community perhaps? It's someone in your workplace quietly screaming for help. We should be asking God this morning, how do we leave God's calling in our lives to be his witness right where we are? Someone said that to find our calling, we must look into God's pre-established mission and agenda. And I think that's a good place for us to start. So the Spirit will restrain us in a journey, but the Spirit will also enhance and refresh our paths. Number two, the Spirit of God labors on our behalf so that we can reap fruits where we have in labor. In verses 11 to 12, 
Luke keeps on painting, describing the journey and the places they went through get to Philippi. Once they got the sense of direction they needed, you can almost feel an air of optimism, not triumphalism, by how Luke describes the places on the journey to Philippi. Once in Philippi, the city will experience the transformation and the healing that only the gospel message brings. It is also there in Philippi, as a commentator described it, where the west word of the gospel will begin and where Paul himself would develop a unique and affectionate relationship with the church. So not only the community will experience transformation, Paul will also be transformed in the process. And I love the reciprocity that the work of the Spirit creates among fellow believers. After a long journey, they didn't jump into the next thing. They remain and they wait. Paul's strategic approach in major cities was to go to the synagogue and preach, and preach the gospel there. But there is no synagogue in the city. However, that didn't discourage or distract the team from the work they were called to do. On the contrary, I suspect that they also developed a more flexible approach after such a long and interrupted journey. Rather than remaining static, they went to a place of prayer in the city's outskirts, and it is in that place where they found a group of women. Right there, a new community, a new community was about to be born, and the seeds of the Macedonian church were about to be planted through the life of a businesswoman, and more importantly, someone that worshipped God. Someone that the Lord had been preparing beforehand to believe the gospel. Taking people to unexpected places and through unexpected journeys with a purpose is something the Lord has always done. This experience is familiar or reminds me of the ones the disciples had in John 4 when Jesus purposely led him through Samaria to reap that for which they did not labor. And in these verses, we will observe something similar taking place. And perhaps there are some lessons that Paul and the team were meant to learn as well. Just like the disciples learned in Samaria about some of the prejudice they had, Paul and the team probably learned something here too. But what could have been the team's response when the Spirit guided them to the riverside and not to a synagogue? just to learn that Lydia and her family were the reason for the Spirit to restrain their presence in Asia. What were some of the lessons that Paul and the rest of the team probably learned? Well, just let me just suggest a few. Maybe Paul was confronted and challenged with his misconceptions and biases about others. If we consider that for as awesome as he was, he was on a journey of transformation. And before becoming the Apostle Paul, he was so. A Pharisee that, as a commentator suggested, probably learned a traditional prayer that he will recite every day and that will go like this. God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile or a slave or a woman. And perhaps a passage like Galatians 3.28 could give us a sneak peek into that journey of transformation when Paul himself writes that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Maybe he also learned that God knows better. The first thing Luke mentions in verse 14 right after introducing Lydia is that she was from Thyatira, one of the places in Asia where Paul was restrained from entering by the Spirit. So instead of going there, the Lord brought Asia to Philippi because that was more strategic for the kingdom. He also learned that the Lord had been laboring ahead and preparing the fields for the harvest and that all those interruptions, everything that happened had a purpose. Through the work of the Spirit, Lydia opened her heart to listen to the message of the gospel and believe it along with her family, her household. 
This is an excellent example that salvation is the sovereign work of the Spirit in the life of the person receiving the gospel by using a fragile and yet willing and redeemed vessel like Paul. Lydia becomes the first woman in Acts to be mentioned by name that believed the gospel. And Luke purposely wants us to know that. Why? I think that he does that so that we can understand that the kingdom of God is more significant than ourselves. And we shouldn't lose sight of it. In the new creation, conversion, restoration, and transformation happen in unexpected places with unexpected people in unexpected circumstances. And that we all are also shape, shape and renew and transform in this process. We shouldn't overlook that the church in Philippi started through the life of a woman because it's something powerful. Luke continues leaving loud reminders through his narrative about the uniqueness of God's kingdom, not only through Lydia's conversion, but in the common verses as we read about the slave girl and the Philippian jailer and how the gospel continue moving forth to the ends of the earth. It is remarkable to observe Paul's capacity to adapt and be flexible to the circumstances, to the interruptions and unexpected situations he experienced. Pastor Eric reminded us of this a few weeks ago in how we need to learn to be flexible when we bring the good news of the gospel to the people God is purposely crossing our paths with. We need to adapt our approach and be flexible as the message of the gospel remains central. Here, Paul doesn't seem to make a big deal about not preaching at a synagogue. He instead adapts and has a gospel-centered conversation next to a river. Those that God calls will believe when they get to hear the gospel, whether it's at a church, at a restaurant, a small group, at a school. Anywhere is a perfect and a strategic place for the kingdom seeds to be planted. But it requires two things. The guidance of the Spirit of God in our lives and the guidance of the Spirit of God also in partnership with a willing vessel to be filled and used. Paul knew that his role was to be faithful to the proclamation of the gospel and to give reason for the hope he had in Christ. The work of the Spirit was to get the attention of those God was already calling to believe. And Paul's job was to point into Christ. Now Paul and the team are reaping what they didn't labor for because the Spirit had been working on their behalf before their, before their arrival. Lydia, her family, and the people from Philippi were meant to hear the gospel. And Paul was meant to be loved, cared, and supported by this new church. Something we can read about as he described his love and affection for the church in the letter to Philippians. In our last verse, we observe the immediate response of this new believer. The Spirit opened her mind to believe, and once she was baptized, she opened her house. Hospitality is something that should characterize believers at any place. And connecting Lydia's affluence and the place of privilege she had with her capacity to host will be a mistake. Instead, hospitality and, hospitality and generosity should be the response that every believer should exercise according to their possibilities. The kingdom of God can be scandalous and challenge any pre-existing paradigms. As a woman, Lydia is now living in the freedom that the upside-down reality of the kingdom of God offers. In my experience, women on God's mission are something remarkable to observe and to learn from. Many of the biggest lessons I learned, and I continue to be learning in ministry and life, lessons that had shaped and challenged me in many ways have been through the lives and ministries of many women. My wife has been one of them. 
And here at Calvary, there is no exception. I am grateful for the lives of Kimia Tuwama, Debbie Berkey, Janet Bays, Cheryl Shoemaker, Pam Redmond, Carolyn Whitman, Becky Corsay, Ray Paul, Taylor Hansen, Cheryl Green, Anna Dialba, Chilean Jacobs, Serena Arias, and Dr. Bell, just, just to mention some. Thank you, ladies, for your passion, your leadership, and the love for the gospel. But also thank you for embracing interruptions in your life. God knows with perfect precision where he's leading our lives. He knows everything about our lives. He has seen and prepared our futures. And also the futures of those that we will be crossing paths with. Of course, we don't know what those futures hold. But we can rest with absolute peace that the place in life where the Spirit is leading us is a place where God has already been working on our behalf. And that should give us peace. Have you asked God, what does he want to do with your life? Where do you sense the Spirit is leading you? To whom and where is he calling you to live with purpose? Whatever that place is, it is always going to be more than just about yourself. God wants us to be known, and he wants you to be a willing vessel. Whether it's a new job opportunity, um, the loss of someone you love, a medical diagnosis, situations in your marriage, situations with your children's, or God bringing you here this morning, or maybe moving you out of the state. Whatever those circumstances, God wants to use those for his glory and for his kingdom. Can you consider that in all that or more, God has a purpose that is bigger than you? Just as Christ was sent, we are also sent. And remember, that is the job of the Spirit to convince the people God is leading you to. Your job is to get on a journey with them and to point into Christ. Sometimes the most significant interruptions in our lives can become like a mustard seed planted next to a river that gives birth to a church that brought transformation to a whole community. We need to allow ourselves to become interrupted vessels that God will take to the unexpected into the unknown. The work of the Spirit in Lydia's life caused her to believe and call upon the name of the Lord when she heard the gospel. Like her, you might be around many people calling for help today. They don't know it because they haven't yet believed. And they won't believe unless someone shares the hope of Christ with them. What are you going to do? How far are you willing to go to share the hope of Christ with them? What can you let go in your life to be interrupted for the sake of the gospel? Can you trust God with your future this morning? Can you trust God with your future this morning? Can we respond this morning like the prophet Isaiah, here I am, send me. Or like Mary, when the unexpected knocked at her door and she simply replied, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It can be scary to pray like that. If God holds your life, your future, if you believe that, and if his, if his plans for you are good and perfect, what is that you fear? Let's pray.
Father, we, uh, we confess that uh, it's, it's not easy to, to live a life that is interrupted. For many circumstances and situations, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I want to acknowledge that. But I pray that you will help us to understand that there is a reason and there is a purpose and that we were not meant to do this by ourselves that you have given us your spirit. I pray that we'll be able to recognize the voice of your spirit, Lord, in our, in our own individual journeys, Lord. I pray that we'll be able to see or to be guided to the places where you are already working, Lord. And if we're trying to go to a place that you are not calling us to go because you're not working there in our behalf yet, I pray that you will do the necessary just to help us to remain waiting on you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Lord, I pray that as a church, as one body, we'll be able to transform. You will use us to transform Oak Park and our surrounding communities here. Help us to understand that there is a purpose that is bigger than ours. Help us to understand, Lord, that we belong to you, that we are yours, and that we shouldn't fear the future, Lord. And I know most of us plan just trying to prevent any, anything from happening to us or our family, Lord. But as we do that, help us to prioritize and create the space and the room, Lord, in our lives for you to guide our journeys, to change our plans, to move our agendas, to feel our agendas, Father. Help us to be part of a generation that is going to turn this world upside down for your glory. Thank you for Calvary, Lord. Thank you for the work you're doing here. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, Father. We confess our need for you. We embrace our brokenness, too. <laughs> because in every area where we lack, you are sufficient. Because where we can't, you can. Because when we don't have, you have. So I pray that this week, Lord, you will continue speaking to us. I pray that you will give us eyes to see those in need that will be willing to respond, bringing the gospel, bringing hope justice, transformation to the lives of those that you want our paths to be crossing with. Thank you for your faithfulness, Father. In Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen.